When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. On the show today, all the reaction to the racing action from Austria at the weekend, from the tricky new chicane, under the radar rides and championship defining rides, possibly. Also over the weekend, a lot of news coming out from the home team KTM and MotoGP itself set for a format shakeup next year. We'll have all of that and more to discuss it all uh, is Keith Hewen and Pete McLaren. The recording date is Monday, the 22nd of August. My name is Harry Benjamin. This is, of course, the Crash MotoGP podcast. Thank you for your company. Well, let's get straight into it then, Keith. The big, big news, which I don't know, did many people see coming? It all felt fairly quite fairly last minute. MotoGP and Dorna have announced a major change to the weekend format for 2023. Sprint races at every single round next season. How did they keep it secret has got to be the question, really, hasn't it? When it's got to go via the manufacturers, through Erta, through Dorna, through the FIM. You've got some fairly big offices there that are usually a bit leakier than what they've been over the last week or two, that's for sure. Uh, the only thing I've got to say about the actual... Um, deliverance if you like is the fact that riders were not consulted in it that kind of upsets me to the core just because probably i was a, an ex-rider and i come from an era of where promoters basically said you jump and we asked how high and it has that feeling this time around there are riders that are happy with the with the sprint race personally i don't really have a view on it to be honest with you i think the sprint race on a saturday fine yeah it's taken over from fp4 we've extended the two earlier practices of FP1 and FP2. Those are going to be the ones that qualify you for qualifying, if you like. Um, so there's there's a bit of a format change. Is it a Grand Prix? No, it's not. A sprint race doesn't count to be a Grand Prix, although it gets half points because it's half race distance type thing. It's all tinkering a bit, isn't it? I mean, I, the reasoning behind it, I understand, is is obviously, you know, they're trying to promote Saturday a bit more. Personally, I think the, the biggest problems they've got is still on a Sunday. I still don't think they've got the value for money that they need on a Sunday. Televisually, it's going to make no difference whatsoever. Television companies, okay, they'll love an extra race for free. That'll go down fine. So maybe maybe there's a later issue where television companies are going to be in, uh, invited to, to bid slightly higher because they've got a bigger audience on a Saturday, almost guaranteed with a sprint race on there. So there's lots of elements to this that you can understand the reasoning behind it. Now let's look at the other elements to it. You know, building to a historic Sunday race day, that, that build-up. I enjoyed that build-up, and I'm sure there are lots of people like me that enjoyed that build-up when it came to a massive crescendo of a Grand Prix, the Grand, Grand Prize on Sunday. 
Um, are we trying to pinch, you know, the way the momentum that has gone with Formula One, that's gone with World Superbikes, as in British Superbikes, these guys have all got that format sorted out, worked out already. Um, but the problem is, of course, these riders are now under even more stress and pressure. Most of these riders are injured from virtually the first round. Now you're asking even more. What's the difference between an FB4 session and a, and a sprint race? A lot. They're prepared. You have to be prepared to put it right on the line for an extra race. You've got a race to the very limit and even more of a limit in a sprint race because you can't manage tyres or do anything like that. It's going to be an absolute, excuse my language, balls out session for however many laps because you're not going to be worried about fuel. You're not going to be worried about tyre life. You're not going to be worried about anything except bashing it up the inside of the bloke in front of you. So it's going to be exciting. It's going to be great from that point of view. And we're going to have as spectators two bites of the cherry. I think they should have consulted riders personally, and they didn't. The riders were the last group to know what was coming for them. All sorts of connotations behind the scenes. Is anybody getting paid more? Is there any bigger bonus money for, for these things? The kind of things yet that sponsors haven't yet worked out. Are sponsors now going to have to pay, you know, half a bonus for, for Saturday's race? You know, it's stuff that you, you wonder whether any of this has been discussed much further than, than the, the, the main three, Dawn of the FIM and Erta. Um, and the manufacturers. I can't believe the manufacturers, nobody in a team told a rider. I can't believe it because, you know, it would have been out. I mean, you know, Pete, from a press point of view, <laughs> riders are leaky, right? Riders have, you know, axes to grind in all different directions and will be, you know, can't wait to actually tell their favourite journalist, you know, what they've got. And uh, you, even the likes of Oxley and Co, Scotty and all of those that are on site as well, that, you know, that, you know, normally they've got their foot in the bloody door and uh, they didn't know anything about it either. I see you this morning, uh, my, my, my favourite my favorite whinging duo of uh, Baz and uh, Alacia Sparbro, Sparbro A, as, um, they've, they've fired off in Twitter at each other already. Uh, Baz saying, well, if you, if you, you know, you could be a test rider if you don't like racing your bike as much yeah. effectively, which... <laughs> which was quite funny. And of course, Elaish has responded to it like Elaish does. Um, and you, you can kind of understand, you know, Jack Miller's completely opposite. Yeah, bring it on. Let's see what it what it's like to the end of the year. I think that's the right attitude. I think Jack Miller has got the perfect attitude for this situation. Nothing's going to change. See it in a positive light. Get on with it. Let's have a look by the end of the year if it's been a success, which I think it will be. I just imagine Keith sitting there reading Twitter and scrolling while eating his popcorn, just looking at all the drama unfolding from <laughs> uh, from the MotoGP paddock. But I mean, Pete, obviously massive news. The one thing that, that su not surprised me, but I found maybe slightly bizarre is that obviously qualifying, if you look at Formula One, the sprint race sets the grid for sun the sunday grand prix that's not happening in this case is it, it qualifying is essentially you, you qualify for both individually that's right yes qualifying will, will remain the same and and i think some of the riders they were quite happy about that because if you know you're not going to then ruin your chances of the the sunday race by falling off in in the in the sprint race as it's called so yeah that is the main difference here and and, and i think that's a good thing i think in general, I mean, we've talked about it before, the ratio between practice time and the amount of racing on a Grand Prix weekend, it's, it's you know, it, for me, it was too far apart anyway. So I think having more racing balances things up a bit more. At the moment, it's about four to one in terms of the number of hours on track 
if you like, you get about three and a half hours of practice and qualifying and then a 45 minute race. So they still have the same amount of total track time. So that means they don't need to change, you know, the tire rules and the engine rules and all that kind of thing. So they're, they're trying to balance it that way. As Keith has mentioned, you, you're swapping a practice for a race is not the same thing, of course. But uh, uh, for me, the main the main issue really is I, I think this whole thing of not calling it a Grand Prix win. I think when you when you put a bunch of riders out there to race as hard as they can, as Keith says, flat out, okay, it's a slightly shorter distance, but we've seen short MotoGP races. You could have a race of five laps now and get full points. So we could end up in a situation where the sprint race is longer than the main race, and yet it only gets half the points, and it becomes complicated, doesn't it? You know, what happens if the first guy uh, guy wins his first race on the Saturday? You know, someone that hasn't won a main race yet, but you can't call them a MotoGP race winner. I mean, it's it, for me, for, for people who are maybe new to the sport, it's just adding complexity. Yes, it would mess up the historical rules and all that kind of thing. But you know what? There were six races in 1949. It's already changed. It's already stacked against the guys now because there's more races on the calendar. So, you know, I, I for me, I think that's that's making things unnecessarily complicated. I just run it at three quarter race distance. We've had races, Austria, last year. We had the Styrian Grand Prix, didn't we? The next weekend, we had the Austrian Grand Prix. We'll make the Saturday one the Syrian Grand Prix, the Sunday one the Austrian Grand Prix, and there you have it. Keep it simple. But other than that, I think, you know, it's the way to go, as you, as you guys have said. We've seen it in other sports. It seems to work. Um, it's more action. It's more racing, which is what the fans want to see. So I, and I think the riders, they'll adapt to it. As Keith says, a lot of the objections really seem to be that the riders weren't informed quite why there was the secrecy i don't know why does it matter if it leaked out you know wouldn't that be a good thing that 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 to find out that discussions were underway between motor gp and the riders and this is being considered I, I don't see that as a bad thing to 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 leak out anyway it's not negative news but there we go this was kept secret we it didn't they didn't end up with the big announcement because by the time they did the, the press conference everybody knew what it was going to be about but there we are. Yes, big changes for next year. I think it shows the determination of Dorna and the other partners um, to push this through. I think if it had leaked out and the riders had, had been negative or if there'd been a negative amount of social media and the like against it, it would all be an, an almighty mud fight. Whereas everybody said, well, it's done. So they shrug their shoulders and, and everyone's getting on with it now, whatever their viewpoint of it is. So I think that it kind of underlines the determination of Dorna to to force this through without any dissent anywhere. So, you know, that's what happens when you've got a bit of a dictatorship running your sport. Um, and I think uh, I'll get slammed for it. Of course I will. But I think that's a good thing. I think if you've made a decision and you need to get it through, the last thing you need to do is air your dirty laundry in public for everybody to hold a debate and a discussion over something that you as the promoter, as the rights holder, feel is the right way for the sport to go. Let's face it, we've had these kind of arguments before. Dorna have even won against the MSMA, against the, the, the Manufacturers Association, when they went for the, the spec electronics. This was a Dorna, you know, they were trying to shift the way that things were done in the factories. Well, that's pretty an immovable mountain normally, and they were successful there as well. So I think that once Dorna get it in their, their head that they want to make these changes, want to make this move, you know, the FIM would have had some input to it as well. Of course, Erta definitely will have done because they contract the teams um, and the teams contract the riders. So that's the, the pecking order of things. Um, but I'm still amazed that they kept it secret right up until pretty much the weekend. Um, that's that's pretty, pretty in our sport, that's pretty remarkable. It's, uh, you know, it might not be so much in Formula One. You, you guys have got it fairly well nailed down, Harry, normally. But, but in, in motorbikes, normally you get a bit of a drift of it. Um, and there was none. Bit, bit like the Suzuki retirement uh, <laughs> announcement. <Well. laughs> 
it's been yeah blindside after blindside in MotoGP this year. But it, do you think that um, they've made the right decision, Keith, by having a sprint race at every single yes. round and not doing it incrementally? Yes, I think they have. I mean, I, I I don't like the way that Formula One sort of now and again have a sprint race. I think that um, yes, I think it's a format that will work. Um, it certainly work in the weekend. It certainly worked for the fans. I mean, it will certainly work for your Saturday audiences and so on and so forth. So from a sports perspective, it you know sports. Um, watching perspective it, it's going to work indeed um you know pete touched on the subject would be should it be a grand prix you touched on the subject about you know qualifying times well i there's more risk in a motorbike sprint race of, of having half your field not finishing than there might be in in a, in a in a sprint car race perhaps maybe um and the point being is is that then you get to you know your, your superstars on the back row of the grid for the main event on the sunday which really would upset a few people so I think keeping your qualifying time consistent for both races is the right way to go. Personally, this is again, you know, you can get involved in this crash.net. So as, as many comments as you want to make about it, um, about it being a Grand Prix or not, Pete, you know, I've really, I've really argued with myself over this since it was announced. I can see the way you're smiling and you know how I, I like to ramble. Um, it, it's a difficult one, isn't it? I, I mean, I kind of feel like it should be a Grand Prix. Um, but I can understand why it's not, because it's half distance for sure. So you, your 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 comment is absolutely bang on the money with that. And you know, should it should it not be? Um, personally, I think if you're going to race as hard as they're going to race, it should be called a Grand Prix. They are going to be these are going to be spectacular races. There isn't going to be anything much held back. That is for sure. You know, the kind of things that we get sometimes in Moto Three, we're going to be seeing in a sprint race in Moto GP. It is going to be hectic. Um, should say qualifying, just mentioning that, it'll be even more important to start at the front of the grid, obviously for a shorter race, and you've got to do it twice. So you have a bad qualifying, you've got two two races where you're starting further back than just one. So qualifying will be more important than ever. If you get injured, you're now going to potentially, when you miss one weekend, let's say, if you have a training injury or whatever else, you're going to lose more than just 25 points, aren't you? You're going to be up with 37. So the bikes might change. Might, might guys go to softer tyres for the sprint race? So you might get things that appear on the bike. All of these sort of things will come into play. So I think it's going to add a lot of interest. And what about carrying forward penalties? You know, you got a long lap penalty from the weekend before or whatever it might be. Does that go in the sprint race or does that go in the main race? I haven't read anything about that yet. <laughs> neither neither no, of you. I don't think that's been... <laughs> no. Yeah, I was going to say. Well, we were told <laughs> at, the, at the press conference, we were told that basically the only things that were fixed were a Saturday sprint race at every Grand Prix and half points, and everything else is still up for discussion. Now, a press release then came out that actually it looked like a lot of things, and Keith's run through them quite well for us all there. You know, the, the timetable of changing for practice, the points, it's actually been decided. So there's a lot more that's been decided on this than perhaps appears. However, they're saying, look, we are prepared to move on these things. If the riders are really, you know, concerned about the, the amount of track time or the sessions or things like that, then they will be flexible. But yeah, I mean, this this idea is a long way down the road, shall we say. This isn't just uh, as perhaps at the press conference, it appeared that, well, we've got the concept of the sprint race and everything else is up for grabs. Pretty much they know what they're going to do. The question mark really is things like the warm up on the Sunday. It's not quite clear because they're trying to not increase the track time on the weekends. Will that disappear now? And if so, as Keith says, on a Sunday, you might end up with just the MotoGP race. I mean, these sort of things still have to be decided to say the warm up, like the penalties, wasn't mentioned in the in the press release. And we still got 2022 to finish yet. <laughs> Good Lord. My my one thing, just coming back on to the idea of it not being called a Grand Prix, 
is it not uh, the case that well sunday is grand prix sunday that is when the big full grand prix points are awarded in formula three it's the same thing we have a sprint race on a saturday uh, and that's that's half points uh, well less points not exactly half and then on sunday it's the full 25 for the race win which is because it's grand prix sunday it's on the main day so is that not the argument here 12 points for a win in moto gp and it will go down all the way to one point for ninth well, I mean, it's quite funny. Does anybody understand the World Superbike system where you've got a Super Bowl race that's not a race? You know, it's, yeah. You know, like you've got three races and one of them isn't actually a race. I, 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 why would you do it? I mean, I don't get it at all. It's, it's you know, you've got three races this weekend. We, you know, next year we've got two races over the weekend. And they really ought to be Grand Prix at the end of the day if they're scoring points towards it. One's half distance, so you get half points for it. That seems pretty, pretty stock for me. Yeah, and it all goes towards the same world championship, Indeed. doesn't it? That's it. Yeah, and as we said, we've had short races. Look at look at Austria two years ago. That restart that Oliveira won at the last corner. I mean, what was that? Seven laps or something? Okay, you still have to have done a decent part of the race before it was stopped. But the only thing that's then carried over is the grid positions, isn't it? It's a completely new race. Mugello two thousand and four was six laps or something, full twenty five points. Um, mm. So we we do have short races, and, and on the Sunday thing. We have had races on the Saturday. Assen for years was a Saturday race, just on the day thing. Qatar used to be a Saturday race. So, you know, we've seen lots of things that, that seem to be fixed, like not having two races at the same venue, you know, one week apart. You know, those things have all kind of moved and, and the, the earth hasn't, hasn't stopped moving. <laughs> uh, we've been able to go on. So I don't know. I think that when you put people in a race, a MotoGP race, I think you need to call it a win. I mean, imagine if a first-time winner wins a sprint race, <laughs> but they don't win a main race, you know. It's all right if you're talking about the Banyayas, the Marqueses, the Quattararos winning the sprint race, but what does he then celebrate? You know, he can't call himself a MotoGP winner, but he won a race in MotoGP against all He's the other riders. He's a sprint winner. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> talk about a good way to confuse the general public who maybe don't follow it. Well, exactly. And at a time where MotoGP desperately needs more and more uh, new fans who need an understandable sport, it needs to be as simple as possible, really, doesn't it? I always thought that um, World Superbikes had it nailed. Their USP was uh, two races in one day on a Sunday. I love that format. You had all the bits in the middle and then you had two major races during the course of the day. Um, and, and that, for me, was, was a stroke of genius for back in the day when, the, when they you know, brought that on. Um, I still think from a trackside value for money point of view, which they don't seem to have addressed yet, Three races plus one support race if there's a rookies or something like that, Asia Talent Cup going on, is still not enough for trackside fans. And I think that that, you know, this weekend, the, the spectacle itself wasn't that great. You know, if you hadn't had Quattararo making the progress he made, I mean, we, I know we're moving on now to the to MotoGP race of the weekend. You know, that, that wasn't a great race. You, you know, we, we, MotoGP is not the sparkling example that we've had in recent times. We've, you know, somehow Dorna have allowed the rules to drift to the point where aero and the like are causing the kind of things. That, and maybe Michelin are, are, are in, at fault here as well for some, you know, the front tyre perhaps could be a little bit different to, to enhance a bit of a bit more racing. There are several sm small elements that are making a big difference at the moment. Um, we saw, again, I'm sorry I'm alluding to the race before you get to it, Harry, but, you know, the fact that the, ride height adjustment didn't get adjusted on Alicia Spargro's Aprilia at the start. It cost him huge amounts down into turn one. You know, do we need ride height adjusters? 
you know, I don't think so. So, you know, hopefully that will all be gone next year and uh, we'll be back to proper motorbikes again. You know, it's not something like is going to get developed for, for road bikes. You know, I can't ever imagine having a ride height adjuster on a road bike, for instance. You know, why, why do we need to be developing it just for racing, perhaps? It's not the first time we've discussed no. that this season and it probably won't be the last either. Well, before we do come on to the racing action, what, with all this sprint race uh, introduction, there will now be over 40 MotoGP races in 2023. So... A lot of racing action. Hopefully, more bang for your buck. We'll have to wait and see on that one. Uh, the order of the races on Sunday as well is also going to be standardised as best as possible. MotoGP always being last now. So that's something uh, that's changing too. And again, as we've alluded to, half points uh, and everything else. And you can see all the full details on Crash.net. Moto2 and Moto3 unaffected. I think if they suddenly introduced it, it would be absolute mayhem across a weekend. You wouldn't know what was happening at what time. But uh, lots to discuss. Let us know your thoughts on sprint races uh, in the comments below on Twitter as well. We'd love to hear your thoughts and we'll have a look at them and get back to you next week. But uh, as Keith alludes to, well, the racing action, indeed, maybe it was a bit of a subpar race if it wasn't for Fabio Quattararo coming through, but it was Bagnaia who matches now Casey Stoner's record uh, with uh, the third consecutive Ducati victory. But it was a Neo Bastianini on pole, his first ever pole position. It was uh, a Ducati uh, top dogs to begin with, wasn't it, Keith? Well, we were expecting a Ducati route at Red Bull Ring anyway. The only thing that really threw that into any um, kind of doubt this time around was the new zigzag that we've got on there, which actually turned out to be a lot better than than what it looks like on a piece of paper, which is, you know, that is the art form that is a track designer. I know Tilka gets a a huge walloping from the motorcycle fraternity because of the type, the style of tracks that he designs. As it turned out, it worked out pretty well. But as predicted, one or two bikes got a bit wayward and did end up back in the track, which is, you know, kind of what we were aiming not to achieve. So uh, that perhaps wasn't quite as bright as it should have been. Um, but it rode much better than it looked. Obviously, the scale the perception of scale and the like when you see plans and maps from overhead and so on and so forth when we're all sat here looking at it on our computers um but it actually rode a lot better and i and i didn't really hear that many um comments regarding descent at all over the design so that was pretty good but the race itself well it had to be a ducati kind of a route didn't it quattararo well, the moral winner of the weekend. I mean, he just is so good at the moment. To be able to come through in the second place, okay, he pinched a couple of opportunities here and there, but that one through that chicane that he pulled off was just something a bit special. On Miller. On Miller. I mean, like, honestly, oh. you just... It just goes to show you the different configurations of motorbike, what you can get away with in different parts of the track. You try to do that on the Ducati, you'd probably be picking it up. But with the Yamaha, he manages to give it that little squirt and get underneath Miller where it counted. He just, I mean, it was a brilliant manoeuvre. And Miller had no comeback. Once Quattararo has got fresh air in front of him, he can pull the race or the laps and the lap times that he is comfortable to do. Um, it was only the fact that a Ducati can get alongside him or, or any of them are in front of him and they don't present an opportunity for a Yamaha to make the pass. Um, but once he was there, I think, you know, if that race had been a couple of laps longer, he'd have been the winner. Quattro didn't read the script, did he? No, I mean, it, it, he shouldn't have been there, should he? I mean, we expected the Banyaya win. I think I think a lot of us predicted it. Keith obviously picked it as, as his win as well. Um, you know, that wasn't a surprise. They'd won, whatever it was, six out of eight races leading into this. Uh, the new chicane, as he says, it did the job, didn't it? I, I just wonder, though, did it did it kind of 
hurt the racing a little bit. It looked a little bit one line. It seemed to just space people out a bit. I know that the riders were saying it created a better overtaking chance at the following corner, but it just seemed that in all three classes, not just MotoGP, that, that they sort of had to, to, it was a bit follow my leader through there with the notable exception, as Keith says, of, of Miller's uh, getting passed there by Quattararo in the race. And that was really a surprise move, wasn't it? And, and Miller said, you know, he, he, he hats off to him for that. You know, he made me look like a granny steering through there, was I think his words. Well, that's, you know? that's the only so way he, you can do it. You've just got to mug him. And that's exactly what he did. I mean, look, look at what happened at Aston, <laughs> the chicane there. It, you know, it can happen. Somebody can catch you napping slightly. I bet you don't do it to Miller again. It's true. It's true. But yeah, so I mean, yeah, I mean, Quattararo, fantastic for him, really. For, for Banyard to only gain five points on him, that was the thing, wasn't it? When you looked at all those Ducatis up front in every session and, uh, you know, top four on the grid, top four in the race at one stage, and he still fought his way through them. And as he says, another couple of laps, who knows? And the Ducatis, most of them went for the soft front, which uh, I think it was they were struggling by the end, weren't they? Uh, Cotter went a bit harder. Jorge Martin, of course, went went with a harder front tyre, but it all went wrong at that uh, turn one of the last lap with that optimistic move on Miller. He he was kind of, you know, he, he said, look, I'd rather crash than, than finish fourth. I mean, he wasn't sort of making any apologies for trying that, but, you know, this was the last chance, wasn't it, before mm. this decision of who's going to replace uh, replace Jack next year. And both of them had bad races. Bastianini, not his fault. He... There was a bit of a, a bit of a battle between them, wasn't there, with Martin, which uh, obviously added spice. It seems like Bastianini was sort of ran over the curb, damaged the rim, and that's what caused him to have those problems. So neither of them ended up scoring any points after. Let's be honest, both of them had impressive weekends. Yeah, well, Keith, actually on that, it was very much we came into this weekend chatting about, you know, Ducati's decision getting closer and closer about Bastini, uh, Bastini or Martin. Do you think this weekend laid a marker down for any one of them to, to edge ahead of the other? Well, I did when Bastianini scored pole. I was, uh, Paolo Giapatti. <laughs> yeah. Paolo, Paolo Giapatti, uh, you know, he, he, you could see a great big smile across his face and you got the feeling that, yeah, that sorted my decision out now. And then, of course, Bastianini chucks it up the road um, and, and and basically the decision is still a tough one. I mean, it, it, you can see two great riders duking it out here at the moment. The decision, it must be on the flip of a coin almost. It's who is going to be, what it's going to come down to, I suppose, at the end of the day, is who is going to suit Bangnaya as a partner in the Red Factory. If, it's, mm. if, it, if you can't make the decision based on just uh, results and performances and on track, um, how else are you going to make that decision? And it will be down to personality and who you think will sit in that factory team the best, who will respond best to being a full factory red rider. My and question, I- though, sorry, just just to interrupt. Miller is on a great run of form right now. Exactly what I was going to say. Well, so Pete, are, are Ducati actually thinking, oh, crap, have we made that call a bit too soon? That was exactly what I was going to say, Harry. Great is, minds. Since, since the Barcelona test, isn't it? Jack's form, he's, he's changed the set of the bike and he's up there on the fighting for the podium every weekend. And you almost think, you know, they would have been better off maybe keeping Jack, but it's too late now, of course. Well, Bill is signed for KTM and he's on. They've got form for that though, haven't they? I mean, look at Lorenzo. You know, it was a situation where he performed brilliantly late on in the season. Cal Crutchlow, when he decided to go to LCR, you know, his his best performances on the Ducati were later in the in the in his tenure there. He carried on working hard with them as well. Andrea Iannone, you know, he he left or got booted out at the at the end of the day. And I always wondered at that time whether they'd kept the right Andrea. I mean, okay, try and take away the um the drug taking and the and the and the personality side of things, I suppose, which which is a fairly major uh, element, of course, in being a factory rider. But 
you know, Ian One, for me, you know, was the guy who had more headroom than Dovi. Dovi, Dovi was very fast. What you see is what you get with Dovi. Um, but I just felt that Yanone, with the with the with the extra pastoral help, if you like, could have gone further than Dovi did in in his performances. So, what is it about red? Ferrari can't make any decent decisions either, can they? <laughs> Sorry, Aaron. I don't think you'll. No, I don't think you'll find a lot of people disagreeing with you on that one. Uh, Ducati once again in a in a bit of a uh, well, I'd say dilemma. It's a nice dilemma to have, I suppose, if you're going to have anything. Um, on the flip side, uh, Aprilia. Let's take a look at them because I was very uh, ballsy coming into this weekend. Maverick for the win, easy does it. That didn't quite pan out, and you alluded to right at the start, Aleish with uh, issues uh, right on the the grid, which really uh, hindered him. It's not the first time we've seen those issues either. It seemed like it was a bit of a, a bit of a hit in the championship for both Aleish and Aprilia this weekend. Yeah, and I don't think anybody really expected it because they were both coming there with a, with really good form, um, mm. which which is a great shame because I mean the, the championships have just widened a little bit, and uh, to be honest, we could do without that. Um, Bagnaia's closing in, but at the moment, Quattararo still has control by some margin. Um, we're going to go to you know, Mizano. Uh, Bangnaya track, if you like, in my view, anyway. I mean, he's going to be a home turf. All the Italians are going to be going absolutely bonkers when we get there. Um, I don't know. Aprilia, Aprilia under, you know, didn't didn't perform. I thought Maverick showed flashes of of what we would expect from Maverick at the moment, but it didn't quite come off. There were, I, I saw somewhere a top ten of, of performances. I can't remember what Maggot was in now, or it might have been online. But you know, I thought the scoring was quite quite accurate actually and Maverick didn't score well in it um, and you've got others who didn't as well I mean like you know Mir continues he's incredibly you know I don't know since since Suzuki pulled the rug out from under him for next year I mean I've got to say Mir is just he wants to take a rest you know every time he goes out on a motorbike he, he, he doesn't finish it's um it's a disaster for him Aprilia underperformed massively um, some of that was down to the fact that uh, he didn't hook up the, the front end, but we know Aleish is quite aggressive once he gets his once he gets his teeth into it. But it didn't didn't materialise this time. I, th- I think it's worth mentioning that this is one of those tracks where they run this harder carcass rear tyre, isn't it? It's it's that because it's such a high speed circuit traditionally anyway. Like the chicane, it's we had, we saw Mandalika, you know, all the problems that Honda had there. This is another one of those tracks, and it seems like Aleish they turned the bike pretty much upside down couldn't really get what they wanted from it um you know he did say look it's not just down to the tire it's also it just doesn't suit us this track that much he was very good in the first sector but after that he was losing time he said i'm proud of my race this is we were competitive you know if this is if this is one of our worst tracks and he put it up there with sort of cota this year hey we're, we're not far off you've got you've got to also think he's riding he had that heel injury obviously also we saw when he tried to do the pit stop practice it's obviously affecting him and, uh, you know, you've got to imagine the back of his mind also, you know, is that playing on his mind a bit when he's riding? Who knows? Maverick, you know, yes, he wasn't fighting for the podium again. We, we thought maybe three in a row, perhaps, but he was still competitive with Aleish, wasn't he? So in that sense, I guess you could still see a bit of a positive angle for him from there. But yeah, they move on now. Mizano might not be great for them, but, you know, Aleish is certainly called Aragon is somewhere that Aleish and the Aprilia usually go well. So, yeah, I mean, there's good tracks coming up for them. And uh, but but undoubtedly, you know, losing those points to Quattararo, I think, you know, 
there was a time in the race where Aleix was just behind Quattro, a bit like Silverstone, wasn't it? And you thought, well, it's not going to move too much. But then Quattro just forced his way through those Ducatis, and that's what made the difference. So he really needed that Quattro, and it's given him that breathing room, isn't it? It certainly has, but it's not over till it's over. Uh, let's pick up on, uh, Keith, what you were mentioning about Joanne Mir, uh, another DNF, a massive high side. I don't think we really saw the full extent of it on the live coverage, but we've uh, since seen it on, on social media absolutely massive and it, it seems like he has got a, a few uh, uh, uh fractures perhaps to his uh, to his foot as well so he's gonna have to try and uh, recover for that in time but i mean you mentioned it already three retirements from the last four races and ever since suzuki pulled the rug as you say and the fact he seems to be on the cusp of signing for honda it's not panning out for him on the track i'm glad you mentioned pan it's out of the frying pan into the bloody fire, isn't it, with Honda? <laughs> you know, it's a, it is a tricky one for, for Mir. He has got to get over a hell of a lot before the start of next year, that is for sure. I mean, his confidence must be absolutely beggared at the moment with um, a, an opening lap crash. don't know. You can, I, I haven't heard whether the, there was anything, you know, whether he lost a bit of traction control or something like that, but it's, it's, it's one of them ones on the opening lap. You normally get tangled up with other people, and we didn't really see exactly what happened, but... But it was a big off, and Mizano is not the place to be carrying an injury to because it is cut and thrust and tricky round there. You know, <laughs> the, the, that fast right-hander at the at what used to be the back straight um, and used to be a left-hander, but it's now a right-hander. Obviously, going through there, you have got you've got to be absolutely confidence, rock solid and high through those three corners, uh, diminishing speeds through the three corners, riding the thing to the absolute limit, um, and his confidence is. Is tricky at the moment. I would have quite liked to have seen the Suzuki go well at Mizano, but I think the competition is going to be so red hot. It's going to be an interesting call. I can't wait to see who your uh, who your your top threes are. <laughs> Shame for me as well because he made a good start, didn't he? I think he was running sixth, so he was up there. You know, usually we know the Suzuki's they struggle in qualifying; they come good in the race, but. Yeah, massive high side, as you say, Harry. We didn't really see it on the camera at the time. We just saw the aftermath. But when they, they showed the sort of replays afterwards, he went very high. It seems that it was an off-throttle high side, so kind of something you the electronics probably wouldn't have helped him with. Into turn four, uh, as you say as well, it looks like there's some fractures, some fragments in his ankles, and also ligament damage. That's the fear as well. He's having checks today, Monday, on those MRI scans. To, you know, ligaments can take a long time. So... I mean, you know, 60 NFs in the last nine races, as he's saying, since this decision was announced. I mean, it, it, it's like Rins's run of nightmare run of last year, isn't it? It's almost like the, the numbers have been changed on the bikes or something. I mean, it's uh, who would have thought it? I mean, still without a podium this year. And uh, yeah, as he says, you know, we're still waiting for the Honda decision. It, it's got to be now. We know now that Paul is going to obviously back to, to KTM, if you like. So the, the, there's a vacancy there. He'll be on it. But what a year. I mean, who would have thought coming into the year, the bike looked to have improved. They looked to have addressed the top speed, all the things that it needed. And yet, you know, nightmare. Marquez being trackside, keeping an eye on the Honda from here on in as well. He looks like he's um, getting close to coming back fairly soon, you would have thought. Um, coming to the end of that 12-week period that they've given themselves to uh, go through the stress tests of his uh, newly formed arm, 30 degrees in a different direction. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I know I cringe at the thought of it as well, Harry. <laughs> but for those of you that didn't, uh, that don't have this uh, in a visual uh, platform, Harry's just cringed rather, rather well. Um, but he's there and he's keeping them honest. It was it's, it's a good teamwork to be 
at trackside, looking at where they're going, the direction they're going in to simulate what's going on with Honda at the moment, to give your opinions, your ideas. Um, it's funny how a few weeks and you forget about the likes of Mark Marquez, but uh, there he was in pit lane, keeping an eye on the old team, trying to just cajole them into the right direction. Um, and blimey, they need it. Need more of a cajoling. I don't know what the right word would be. It's still top Honda. I still can't believe that. Neither can he. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think part of the reason I was cringing, I watched a video, I think, of him showing, I think it was one of the Spanish MotoGP journalists, his his arm and the scars and just what exactly they did and talking through his new arm. It's all, I mean, it's amazing what that, the surgery he's been through. So, uh, well, Mark Marquez, hopefully, I think we're going to get some news in the next week or so. He seems to think about whether he might even be uh, taking part in some uh, tests or even races towards the end of the year. We'll see. Mark Marquez, never rule him out. Uh, before we come on to Moto2, um, while we were talking about Jorge Martin uh, fighting for that podium, ultimately it didn't pay off, but him sliding out made way for a rather under-the-radar ride, I thought, from Luca Marini up there at the very end to take fourth. Great ride. Setting himself up well for next week, isn't he? Mizano, you can mm. bet he's really going to be going for it around there. Luca Marini's had some good rides this year. You're right about under-the-radar, and I think that's a bit how you'd quite like it if you were Luca Marini. He's going about his job in a proper workmanlike way. And there have been flashes of brilliance from him as well. So, uh, yeah, Luca Marini can ride a GP bike. I think we can all be uh, agreed on that one. And uh, I think we're going to see some good things from him fairly soon. Certainly will. Well, at the top of the championship, it is Fabio Quattararo, 200 points now uh, to Alicia Spargros, 168. Then it's Pekka Benyaya, Joanne Zarco and Jack Miller, the top five. Uh, still, yeah, that gap is starting to extend, but Never say never, as we've said. Moto2 now, though. Uh, Ayagura led a Honda Team Asia 1-2 over the line. Jake Dixon fighting his way to third in an all-action final lap, final corner even. Uh, but it was Agura on pole who converted it into his second win of the season. What does you make of the Moto2 action, Keith? Good to see Somkiat Chantra back with it as well. I mean, he's, he shows flashes of brilliance and then goes out. And a part Ferme without Chantra in it is a much more... Uh, duller and boring place so it's always good to see him in a in part ferme afterwards so uh, you're right team asia they're going to be really happy about that one and two for them jake dixon for me probably the ride of the of the of the race he, he had to overcome whatever the problems were he was having he had to overcome them during the course of the race and to come back and snatch a, a, a podium place very very mature clever well thought out race from jake dixon it could have easily been slung up the road it's one of those situations it's not easy to make up the kind of ground he had to make what was he he'd slipped back to i think seventh at one point um might have even been eighth i can't remember now but he had slipped a long way back and it, you kind of went oh dear that's it for dixon he's uh, he's out of this completely um but he worked really really i can't emphasize enough how difficult it is to work your way back to where he got to by the time we got to the flag so he was my man of the motor two race by far when you were seeing those two honda asia bikes at the front you're thinking you know have they got team orders i wonder or anything and then you see chance <laughs> on the last lap and you rise no absolutely not no chance so it's great that there wasn't and they were allowed to race they, they're great friends aren't they those two as well i think they might live together in barcelona and things like that they know each other well you could see they were the way they congratulated each other after the finish genuinely pleased for each other so yeah it was it was a great battle between them wasn't it uh vietti 
was pressuring Chandra at one stage and then fell out. And that's that's a disaster for his championship, it looks like. So he's dropped a long way back. But Agura, you know, this second win in, on top of the championship now, all the MotoGP talk, although you know, on Saturday he said, I'm not thinking about MotoGP next year or, or words to those effects. So, of course, we heard that from Ralph Fernandez about this time last year as well. So I don't know whether that is actually a firm decision on his behalf. But, yeah, let's see. Well, let's see. I mean, he's... Rail Fernandez was kind of forced into the position he was in, and look where we are now with that situation. Um, Takanakagami, and, and there was quite a lot of talk about it at the weekend. You know, booting Takanakagami out might be detrimental to Honda. He's the he's an old campaigner that's got a lot of knowledge up his sleeve, and uh, you've got to be very careful of getting rid of people that can give you that baseline. You know, Nakagami has that baseline on a Honda at the moment, and they're going to bloody need that next year. That is for sure. Agura moving up. Might be just a bit too early as well. And and, and back to the uh, their great friends. I, I, yeah, they are great friends. There's no doubt about it. But I got the feeling that Agura was less happy about uh, the uh, the passing manoeuvre on the last lap than perhaps Tantra yeah. was. <laughs> he was a, just a little bit more reticent <laughs> over that particular move. Um, <laughs> but we all liked it. But, but yeah, and, you know, Agura, you might say, do you really want to go up to MotoGP on a difficult bike? You know, we've seen this year from the fortunes of the five rookies that uh, the bike you're on makes a massive difference, doesn't it? And, uh, you know, one bad year. And I mean, we've got this talk now of where where's Remy going to go? Ralph, where's Raul going to go? You know, after one difficult year, you, you know, there's a lot of competition in MotoGP for your rides. You can't afford that. You look at guys like... Bezecchi, DiGiantonio on the more proven Ducati rides, and they're able to kind of just get on and learn, aren't they? So I, I think if I was a guru, I'd be happy to spend another year and, and, and let, let Marquez and the others sort this Honda out. Well, you, you touched on a good subject there, didn't you? Remy Gardner looks like he's out of a ride in MotoGP. Uh, Darren Binder, likewise, looks like he's out of a ride in MotoGP. Yeah, you're talking about the reigning Moto2 world champion. Um, he, for sure, he's going to be looking for a berth in Moto2, I would imagine, unless he decides to go across to Superbike, which I would think would suit him massively. I think it would suit his personality. I think it would suit his riding style. So Remy, and, and, and I've not you know, been paying, paying too much attention to what's going on in the World Superbike paddock as to whether there's going to be any gaps in the market over there. But you know, Remy, Remy could find himself out of a job this, this year. And likewise, Darren Binder. I think Darren Binder almost certainly is not going to find another... Uh, MotoGP berth. Um, so you've got, not only have you got the, the current crop of talent trying to get uphill from Moto3 or from CEV or wherever they're coming from into Moto2, you've also got a couple of really good riders coming back down. Although I haven't said that, it, Darren Binder will be an unknown quantity, of course, because he went Moto3 straight into MotoGP and missed out Moto2. So he might, uh, he might not find a ride either in Moto2. It's going to be difficult well, for both of them. Yeah. Yeah, we've so we said it all the time that, that the, the talent issue that that MotoGP has at the moment is that there's there's too much arguably. Uh, and in in Moto2, one of the people we've spoken about a lot, Pedro Acosta, the wonder kid, a lot of things hope for him back uh, this weekend after uh, being declared unfit for Silverstone, uh, and he was the victim of Jake Dixon in that final uh, lap, final corner. But uh, still a strong ride from uh, Acosta on his return. Do you think? Yeah, I think he um, Dixon did to Acosta what Acosta would do to Dixon all day long. So uh, yeah. <laughs> live by the sword, die by the sword, I think is the phrase for that one. Um, Acosta didn't quite, you know, out of the final final corner, Dixie managed to hook up the traction and uh, make it to the line unbothered by it all. But look, yeah, he looks good. I mean, at the end of the day, Acosta, it's taken him longer with Moto2, um, but he'll be there. 
think the surprise to me was was his teammate, the Fernandez. I mean, Augusto Fernandez. We're talking about now, you know, who come in after these great great rides, wins, leading the World Championship. Acosta, you know, was the was the top AOKTM throughout that race, wasn't he? Fernandez wasn't able to match him. I think that was a bit of a surprise to me. Um, was this again because a bit of MotoGP talk around Augusto Fernandez? Is he another one potentially that might uh, might take over Remy's seat? So. Who knows? But uh, but yeah, I was a little bit surprised to see. I mean, great to see Acosta up there after this, you know, leg leg fracture that he's come back from. But I was I was surprised to see that that he was let's say comfortably clear of Fernandez really in the race. I thought Fernandez coming off those those previous races was was the guy to beat. Pete, do you think you mentioned Vietti as well, crashing out of contention, quite pivotal for the championship that he's now twenty seven points off Ayagura down in third. Do you think? It's becoming a bit of a two-horse race now. Is it too soon to say that? There's just one point between Ayagura and Augusto <laughs> Fernandez right now. I think Mazzana will be crucial because Vietti can either have a great home race and close that gap back in, or suddenly he's drifting You know, more than, well, he's already just over one race win, but he's, he loses even more ground, and for me, he's out of it. So I think he's on the brink now to answer that question. I think I think he really needs a strong race in Mazzana to get himself back in there because otherwise it's just going to slip away from him. Strong rides needed coming up. Moto3, we saw some bloody strong rides. One strong ride in particular. Ayumu Sasaki, Keith, dealt with his double long lap penalty uh, early doors and then just cut his way to the front like it was nothing. How good a ride was that from Ayumu? When you've got a, a train of riders all in close contention, working your way through. He had enough laps to make it do it, didn't he? But he was a long, long, long way back. But it's just a case of endurance, just doing one at a time at every opportunity moving forwards. He obviously had the pace, but whether he had the time to make it through, and in the end, he did it with ease. Um, I mean, for the first half of his you know, chase back, you didn't really notice him. You had to really look for him, didn't you? <laughs> it was only on the on the, the sidebar on the TV where you kept seeing Sasaki going... And then all of a sudden... He's on for it again. It was a brilliant ride, a brilliant ride. I mean, we saw the long lap. We had the complaints at Silverstone. It was too short, didn't we? And it did look like a, a real long lap this time. It did look like a proper three seconds, should we say. So I really thought, especially when he took the first long lap, wasn't it? And, he, and as Keith says, he dropped almost off the ticker on the side of the screen. screen. You thought, well, he's still got to do another one yet. I, I, to be honest, I thought his chances of winning were over at that point. So I was, I was surprised he came back. Well, we didn't, we didn't even get to see the second long lap, did we? They missed that. It was all of a sudden he dropped even further down the order and I wasn't sure whether he'd gone in the gravel trying to make his way back or he'd taken a long lap penalty. Nobody actually knew. But he had taken that long lap penalty and dropped even further down the order. I mean, he was almost off the first page. <laughs> Highlight for me was seeing Jake Dixon celebrate with him right at the very end. Uh, I think that made him late to get out for the formation lap for his race as well. So that that was that was brilliant to see uh, on the uh, on the cameras. Uh, a little further back in uh, Moto Three, though, strong rookie ride once again from uh, Daniel Holgado. Finished sixth as well as a spicy podium battle in front of him unfolding, in which another rookie ran out, David Munoz, as well, beating uh, Tatsuki Suzuki and Dennis Onchu. So the rookies in Moto Three proving their worth. Indeed. But it was always interesting watching Onchu, wasn't it? Onchu, he's one of those riders, you hold your breath every time he looks like he's going to make a move because he's kind of there. <laughs> <laughs> he's one of the forceful riders out the lot. But uh, yeah, it was, I mean, Moto3 is always the, the classic race of the day, isn't it now? I mean, you, you could rely on it. 
you've been able to rely on it for years. Every, you know, other races come close to looking quite good sometimes. At the moment, still Moto3 is the best race of the day. Um, actually, going back to our very beginning of this conversation, and you, you mentioned about how chaotic it would be if, if suddenly we had sprint races for Moto3 and Moto2 as well. But we didn't have qualifying like MotoGP in Moto3 and Moto2 for a while. And then they converted that to the same format as the big class. Um, so I'm not so sure that we won't see um, maybe two Moto3 races on a Sunday, for instance. Now, that wow. would get the fans going. You could, you could, you could certainly... You, this, this pack of cards in the, in the promoter's um, you know, pocket can be still changed around a little bit more. And there isn't anybody who'd argue against seeing two Moto3 races in a weekend, that's for sure. It would keep everyone busy, wouldn't it? <laughs> Say goodbye to your families at the MotoGP weekend because <laughs> that'll be uh, triple the work nearly. Uh, but Garcia in Moto3 uh, leads 193 points to Guevara, 188. Dennis Foggia, Pete, bit of a weird season for him. 49 points behind now. He, you know, he's had a... He's had a couple of wins, but compared to last season, it's it's a not not gone his way, has it? Not at all. I mean, as, as the reigning title runner-up, he was the guy we were all looking for mm. to, to to take control of this championship, and he he had a good ride at Silverstone, where, where the, the Aspar guys crashed out, didn't they? Suddenly there was that bit of hope, but then yeah, twelfth place. I mean, it's okay. It was a, it was dominated by the KTM's, wasn't it, at the front, and they're on the Honda. But I mean, Suzuki, his teammate, was was ahead of him. Uh, yeah, you know, he's, yeah, he's in trouble, really, for the championship, really big trouble. Similar situation to Banyaya, but Banyaya's winning. He's got that momentum going now, whereas Foggia, what's 49 points? And, you know, he doesn't have that momentum. As you say, he gets a, he has a good race, and, and then it all sort of slips away again, and then he has another good race. And, yeah, it's going to be difficult for him now. I, uh, <laughs> we saw this press release from the, from the Leopard team come out during the weekend. It's sort of a long, long release about... Um, homologated parts and that, that they wanted to change some things on the Honda that they that they think KTM had been allowed to change and that they should have and that there was always it was thrown out anyway I mean it's 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 too long to go into in detail but the the protests were thrown out but but again you just think there's this going on behind the scenes as well is this kind of a bit of a distraction for them um but yeah I mean Foggy was the guy everyone was looking at fought right to the end almost with Acosta last year didn't he and then this year, the other guys have, have sort of leapfrogged him, haven't they? We've had that every year in Moto3, though. Honda have an advantage, KTM have an advantage, Honda have an advantage, <laughs> KTM have an advantage, Leopard have an advantage over a lot of them. And that has been the situation. Leopard have had, um, you know, they've had their bike stripped a few times to make sure it complies, and it does every single time. They're just, the way they've set their bike up over the years, it's always been consistently the quickest motorbike out there, one way or another. Um, so you can understand it's such fine margins in Moto3 as well. Every single tiny, tiny, tiny increment counts. Um, so you can understand why, you know, the, the, there was, I, I always like the, the limiters and soft limiters. There was a, a situation where you were allowed to over rev by a certain amount, you know, through a soft limiter at one point. And, and I think, was it Honda had got that bang on dead right and KTM hadn't. And so therefore KTM were at a disadvantage very slightly. So there were a few software rules that were, were sort of needing adjustments as well. Um, and on it goes. By the way, if you can hear some rumbling going on, just let me know. Can you, if you can hear that rumbling, can you hear that? Yeah. I, I did want to ask. <laughs> you got the you got the movers in. No, I've got a cleaner <laughs> in at the moment, and she's obviously she's obviously moved to one of the upstairs rooms. 
Does she not know this is podcast time? <laughs> Unacceptable. She's just come back from her Canadian holiday, so she, clearly she's forgotten that Mondays are um, uh, need to be a silent day. Um, we've got two choices. We can hang on for just a minute, or uh, I can go and clear her up. What do you want to do? I think no, we'll power through. We'll power Are you through because sure? we're yeah, I'm sure we're nearly there. Um, just a, a few uh, more things to discuss. One of which is a new feature I want to introduce, but we'll see how it works. Pete, pick of the week. I don't know what it means. I just felt like I should give you something to do each week uh, more than already what you do. We've got Keith's insider's guide, but obviously not this weekend because we haven't got a race coming up. But Pick of the week, something that, that really stood out for you uh, across the classes, a story, a rider. What's one thing you're sort of taking away from, from Austria? Well, something a little bit different was was actually a guy we were talking about earlier and Keith was praising, Luca Marini. And it was a bit of a different take on the whole sprint race thing. And he was saying, yeah, you know, look, yes, it's going to improve the action and everything else. But he said, look, what MotoGP needs is some big characters. He said, look at the times where there was Jorge, when there was Valentino, when there was Stoner, when there was Marquez. I think Mark's still here, but you know what I mean? And he's saying, look, that's that's an important part of it. You have to create a story around the riders. You have to, to, to give the riders more of a window, I think he was saying. And he's saying, and then he compared with Superbike. He said, look at Superbike. You know, loads of us are all watching Superbike again this year because you've got three really strong riders at the front avenue different manufacturers all battling out he said it's not because they do three races in a weekend it's because of, of, of who they are and these characters and these people and the question then becomes how does MotoGP work on that aspect now we did hear at this press conference that this whole the sprint race thing this is not the end of it there are other changes planned so maybe this is something they're going to try and address that they need to build up the profile of the riders and, and Marini is a great example because He's actually a great personality. He's got really good insights, but you don't hear enough from him, let's say, during a normal weekend because you only really get the guys that are on the podiums, don't you? But that's certainly his take on it, is that, look, this is the area that we also need to look at. The racing's good. The guys are good. Yes, sprint racing will be even more of that. But let's let's build up the personalities and the characters. And there are good characters there, but, you know, we're not really hearing much at the moment. So lot difficult thing to do of course it's one thing to say it's another thing to do it you've got the whole issue of, of, of the pr advice that the riders get you know sometimes you fear that they're that they're too worried about upsetting anybody when really and of course marini's brother the most famous motorcycle race of all time is the template for this you can give opinions without you know without crossing a line or anything else can't you you can be interested nikki hayden fantastic engaging person he never bad raised anyone did he I mean, it's not about, you know, just causing controversy, but it's about trying to get the characters out there. As Marini said, there's a lot of young riders in MotoGP now. And, uh, you know, they're all coming through. But, yeah, I think that's the side that we are maybe missing a bit that, that might help with the whole issue of viewing fans and things like that. So I'd be interested to hear what, what you and Keith maybe think of his views on that. Well, you'll have a personality injection in one arm and a pol politically correct <laughs> injection in the other arm to counteract it, and you'll end up with nothing. Um you can't create a personality. I mean, that sounds a bit like Waterman and the like who created certain bands back in the 80s and they're all horrible. Um, the point is, is that, that we've not got the, the, the same kind of rivalry at the moment that we used to have. I mean, that, you, know, you can put them on the Barry Sheen school of, um, you know, cutting it close to the edge um, from a personality point of view. I, I think, you know, Marini as you used him as an example, he is a personality off the track, but he is quiet and unassuming and 
intelligent. He's not the kind of guy that, that is going to sparkle when it comes to any controversy or the like. You know, Marquez, I quite like the way Marquez would fire back every now and again. Alacious Bargro, you know, I call him a bit of a whinger, but the fact is that he's putting it out there, his opinion. I like that. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a great thing. We, there are one or two there that you can rely on. Cal Crutchlow was just the best. You know, thank heavens he's back in Mazzano, taking back over from Dobby for anybody who's been living under a stone and don't remember that. Um, you know, I'd have Crutchlow back in, in hopefully in Park Ferme, but obviously I doubt it. You know, the point being is to, to, to be interviewing Cal again with his, his dry, wicked sense of humour underneath it all, cutting every journalist off by the knees is perfect. Um, you know, when we come back to the drive to survive syndrome, don't we, again, the, 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 you know, the Formula One thing that we didn't do particularly well in MotoGP, perhaps, um, that, that film about the personalities behind the scenes. They are there, but, we're, you know, Bangnaya, is he, is he a great personality? Yes, to his friends and family and probably the team as well. But, but no, he just comes across as a nice guy who can ride a motorbike really, really quickly. He's not contentious in any way. I mean, you, you've always got to have this bit of friction. Now, Kenny Roberts, if we go back to, to my era, if you like, Kenny Roberts, awkward, difficult, gave you exactly what you weren't expecting, straight down the barrel when he was pulling the trigger, He'd be looking at you straight in the eyes. And he's still the same now in his 70s. Exactly the same. Just an awkward git. Um, we don't have any Kenny Roberts-style people anymore. Um, Freddie Spencer, was he ever, a, you know, talking same era, was he was he ever a real personality? No, not really. Just fast on a motorbike and a, and a God-fearing, you know, God-fearing lad who got on with what he's doing. You're not going to be able to inject personality into it. It's not, you're not going to be able to falsify it. You know, that's that's going to be no. A real but is it more about learning learning the story of these guys? Not not really trying to make them bigger than they are, but just understanding them. Because as you say, we all we know about them is a lot of them is they're great motorcycle racers. We don't know what they believe in, what they enjoy doing away from the track. We don't really get to hear any. If of they that. are funny, uh, you know. that's it. I mean, that could be sort of teased out a bit more. And you know, there's that great quote from Joan Mir during 2020. Remember, he was fighting for the world championship. He hadn't won a race at that stage, and everyone's you know. What about the pressure? What about the pressure? And this was during the COVID pandemic, wasn't it? And he said, look, pressure is for people that don't know how they're going to pay the rent next week. You know, that's real pressure. Pressure is people that are under those sort of... And it was like, wow, you know, this young guy comes out with something like that. And it, and it caught everybody, you know, that's what we need more of. It's So that kind of thing, that kind of just being a bit more than just, yeah, we tried this tyre on the bike and, you know, it works okay and we had a nice race. And yeah, I, We need I, more I Jack Millers. The, the, we need more Jack Millers. I'm sorry. Jack, Jack Miller would be the template for me. Represents motorbike racing pretty well. Represent that demographic of male pretty well. I'm up for a female as well. If, if there's one coming through the MotoGP in the future, hopefully that will happen as well, of course. That's when personalities and the, and the rivalry starts even more then if we get to that stage, of course. But Jack Miller, my favourite, very favourite Jack Miller, before he became Jack Miller politically correct, and he's not, obviously, but he now knows how he can get away with what he can get away with. But back in the day, live television interview, final, final comments at the end of the show, just before the credits were about to come up on BT, and he called Neil Hodgson a wanker. My <laughs> very favourite, my very favourite. They couldn't cut it out. They couldn't go anywhere because basically it was the end of the show. And he knew what he was but doing. But funnier than that was the fact was that somebody back in good old BT Towers back in London didn't cut it out for the repeat shows. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. 
But you are you are right. And even if it's not the same personality as Miller, like I go back to Formula One, and I think I've said this before, uh, Mercedes have a dedicated team purely to extract and work on the PR and public persona of George Russell because he's an he. I mean, he's an unknown quantity when you compare it to Lewis Hamilton. But he they they're trying to eke out his personality a bit more and get him to be a little bit more likable and and figure out who he is as a person on his social media and his kind of sense of humor. And that is what I would say. Dorna and MotoGP and all the teams need to come together on is they need a dedicated PR team essentially to go and work with individually all these riders and go right okay we need to we need to present you we need to extract you and put it out there for people to see in order to create these characters and these rivalries that's, or that, not create them just to entice them. that's but that's what the situation with Dorna is across the board at the moment do they understand their audience. And I, mm. I think they've missed the boat a little bit on that at the moment. Do they understand their trackside audience? Do they understand their social media audience? Do they understand the audience that we're trying to get in? You know, the fact is, is that that is a gap in Dorna's strategy at the moment. I think they're aware of it. I think that they are, they are across it at this moment in time. Um, and I, I'm fairly confident that they, they will get there. But, you know, we've nicked an idea off of F1 BSB World Superbikes with the, with the uh, extra race on a Saturday. Um, they'd be doing well to to take a leaf out of you know Liberty's books when it comes to the way F1 social media and so on and so forth has enhanced the, their sport so well. Um, I would hate it if we went down the F1 route. I must say, it seems a little bit contrived and it's not the style of of motorbike racing in general. But there is definitely a much bigger gap in bike racing for that interaction between fans and riders um, and we appear over the last few years to start to, to be going a little bit the wrong way you know the accessibility is really important you know understanding pete you've banged the nail on the head anyway as you always do you know the fact is is that we don't know about the personalities of our guys when we ought to because they are accessible to a point but i think what's happened is they've been allowed what I call the motorhome syndrome, you know, run for cover boys. As soon as you get off the bike, get on the scooter, scoot through as many people as you can possibly do and bail out straight into the motorhome or, or hospitality unit or whatever it is. That's got to stop. Trouble is with the pressure of now sprint races on Saturday, that's going to get worse because their focus is going to be on what they're doing so much. They are going to have less time to be thinking about doing the interactions that we're hoping that we can, see the personalities their true personalities of so these things are working a little bit in conflict with the way we're heading somewhere along the lines it has got to work out that accessibility for fans both televisually and trackside it's got to be enhanced it's got to work its way through mm-hmm. one way or another yeah and i believe that they're technology wise i've said it before i've been banging the drum about yeah okay it's just one idea was it cameras in pits and so on and so forth. So you can access it on your phone and you can see what your favorite rider's doing or whatever, but it's got to be more than that. It's got to be that face-to-face interaction Thursday day of champions at Silverstone, you know, the, the two wheels for life charity. That is the charity of MotoGP. You've got access to riders, you know, not enough. I would say what's happened on the Thursdays over the years is that more and more riders now, are disappearing behind the scenes. So even your Day of Champions people that have come for the charity that are walking up and down the backs of pit lane, very, very hard to spot a superstar rider at the moment. You know, I feel that there ought to be, like in NASCAR, like in IndyCar, where in the Constitution is, they have to appear 
four right pit lane walkabout bsb them riders have to sit in the front of their garage and sign bloody papers sign this sign that sign whatever it is as people are pushed along pit lane it's a fantastic opportunity to to catch up with the guy that you want to catch up with you're okay you're on a you're on a you're on a conveyor belt moving down pit lane but the fact is you see them face to face some people are quite happy to stand at the back and just watch what's going on in pit lane even if they don't want to get an an autograph or something along those lines the MotoGP, you know, these guys are, you know, in an ivory tower, um, and it seems that the doors are shut at the moment, one way or another. I, I think the main, and it's a great issue you bring up, Pete. Great pick of the week. Great, great one to start off with. I think if you're if you're an average fan of MotoGP, you wouldn't, you could, and and all, and you were walking past somebody, a MotoGP rider dressed in normal clothes, and it wasn't one of the top six or seven you i i generally believe you might not realize who you're walking past if that makes sense and i think that that's the main kind of crux of the issue even if you're a fan forget if you're working in most gp or you're one of those incredibly knowledgeable fans i think if you're if you're one of the many fans i met at silverstone you know who the the kind of main players are but actually if you walked past peko bagnaya maybe you... peko bagnaya is a good example i think peko bagnaya when he's dressed normally you know, you, you, he, he looks like a, you wouldn't have a clue. You wouldn't have a clue, and that's if you know him, you have to look twice. Yes, yeah. you know it's. It, <laughs> yeah. And well, I, we could. Well, this is a great issue, so but we are we are running way over time. But you know, let us know what you think about that as well in in the comments. And, and would you recognise a MotoGP rider in normal clothes if you're walking past them on Oxford Street? Let us know. Um, now we are running over time, but uh, big. Uh, there's still one major thing we haven't really talked about. Uh, because there were so many announcements, and we'll end with this one. Um, on their home weekend uh, for KTN, with the headline one being that Paul Espargo, as expected, will leave Repsol Honda and return to KTM, racing in the new Gas Gas colours, previously Tech 3, which sort of morphs into Gas Gas. Did, did we see that one coming? Why is that happening? Well, it's a badged KTM, isn't it? I mean, we see lots of badged KTMs in Moto3 and the like, you know, Husqvarna or whatever. So is it just a sponsor thing, really? Well, it's, it's a different marketplace. I think what it is, it's quite clever in as much as Gas Gas are big in Spain, for instance. You know, it's a situation where there's it's a different branding for a different marketplace. I mean, after cars on the street, you know, if you, you pick a Ford or a, or a VW or whatever it is, it's got a different badge on it and a slightly different bodywork on it, and it's it's called something else. You know, it's just modern day branding at the end of the day. Colouring and the way it looks, I think the gas gas looks really, really good. You know, I always think of trials bikes when I think of gas gas. I don't think of them as road race bikes. And that's the point. You know, obviously somewhere along the lines, KTM are badging a bike to to suit whatever they're doing in that marketplace in that region at a later date. Are there any new branding, any new sponsorship, any new opportunity in our paddock is a good thing. You know, a K- KTM in a in a satellite team you know who cares effectively and i've got to say that the the whole of of you know herve poncherel geek Hulon's tech 3 team need a bit of rebranding at the moment because that team has fallen to a to a level that um, they've never been at i don't think in recent times so rebranding you know regeneration recuperation whatever you want to call it um Hervé and his crew could do with a bit of that 
Yeah, well, I mean, Pete, what what is going on with with that team? Because you know, on the rider side of it as well, obviously, Paul Espargaro going there. We think that's probably the right move. It hasn't really panned out for him at Honda either. Uh, the, t- the time he's been there, but uh, that KTM coming out and saying they're still hoping that they might be able to to keep Miguel Oliveira with them. Although he looks like he wants to go off and to RNF Aprilia, and then and then of course Remy Gardner and Ralph Fernandez. We talked about it already. Remy Gardner, the Moto, t- the reigning Moto Two World Champion, Ralph Fernandez, runner up. Uh, but he looks like he's had a proper falling out with the team uh, and his and his entourage have as well. Yeah, just to, just on Raul. Well, I mean, according to Pit Byra, that he sat down with Raul at Jerez, which was round six, and they actually agreed that they would go their separate ways at the end of the year. Oh, this was this was what Raul wanted. So he's saying, look, it, it was all amicable, but there was no chance on their side to continue with Raul for next year. So so Raul is definitely leaving, and as, as you say, RNF for pretty is the overwhelming favourite venue, should we say, of where he will go next. Now, uh, and then, let's say, up until this announcement on of the Tectoire, okay, the Gas Gas branding, yeah, it was kind of rumoured a bit. It, it is, as Keith explained, it's, it's, it's a title sponsorship, basically. I mean, it, it, it can be billed as more than that, but the bikes will be identical to the factory KTM team because otherwise it would cause all sorts of problems with the technical rules, because if you're a real new manufacturer, you'd have concessions and all this kind of stuff. So that won't happen. I think the bike will still be labelled as a KTM on the results and in the constructors, which it isn't in Moto3. It seems like that's the choice. It's actually chosen by, well, in this case, uh, Stefan Pira, the boss of of all these brands, if you like. It's up to him if he wants to divide the constructors' points by having a a gas-gas bike or a KTM, which they do in Moto3. It looks like in MotoGP, they'll keep all the points as KTM. Um, that's just on that bit. But yeah, in terms of the riders, yeah, Paul Espargaro, no surprises there. And then suddenly Pip Byra comes out and says, says, uh, yeah, well, we're still hoping to convince Oliveira, which was a bit of a shock because Oliveira kind of ruled out going back to Tectoire. Now, he's saying, Pip, uh, Pip Byra was saying he will get another proposal because obviously Oliveira hasn't signed for anyone else yet. So he's still available. They'd obviously love to have a four-time Grand Prix winner on that bike next to Paul. I mean, that would be... a quite a thing for them with the Gas Gas brand. We hear the Gas Gas brand is very close to Seth and Pira. You know, he's a big fan of this brand. It uh, seems it's popular also in America. You know, it's, it does well there and that kind of thing. It's, it's, they do the same thing with motocross bikes, we should say. They, they brand and Enduro. They brand, it's a KTM and they brand it as Husqvarna's and Gas Gas's. So this is this is a, a successful template that they've used for marketing, if you like. So, but just on the riders, yeah. So bang, big surprise. Oliveira is still in this and Oliveira's kind of played it down a bit, but again admitted well yeah they're still talking to me and and they do still want to keep me so what will he do on the other hand it is still a rebranded satellite team i mean that's at the end of the day that was Oliveira's objection was he wanted to remain a factory rider now ktm is saying look it's going to be the same as as the factory ktm team exactly the same so you've got this 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 little yeah you've got this going on no doubt money might be a factor who knows might they make an improved offer in that sense if he goes to RNF Aprilia, they're year-old bikes, of course. Let's remember that. They're not going to be – it's not the factory Aprilia team. It's going to be this year's Aprilia. So it's, it could be a bit of a complicated decision for Oliver. Well, the big... But the end result of it is that, that, that Remy Gardner, just to sort of wrap it up, yes, suddenly when he looked quite safe and we all expected Remy to be alongside Paul on Sunday night, he's saying, it doesn't look like there's anything for me. So, wow, that, that wasn't expected. The big difference with the satellite team compared with the fa- full factory team is personnel. You know, the big the factory team have all of the people there. They have a greater number of people there. It's not an independent team. Uh, it's a factory team, which means it's the same with Honda. LCR have what they have in, in, in behind the garages. 
whereas the Repsol Honda guys have all of the main people there, plus the factory uh, data-wise, data engineers and so on and so forth. So there's greater, greater numbers of people usually with the full factory side of the camp than there is in the independent side of it. And I think Tech 3, despite the fact it's a very, very, very good team, the historically very, very good team, probably don't have the same amount of staff as the full-on factory KTMs. And that's that's the only difference. You can have the full factory bike, but you just can't plough your way through all of the work and all of the data in the short turnaround that they've got to do um, between races or between sessions or between whatever it might be. And that's the difference, in my view, of an independent team versus a factory team. So what should Miguel do? What would you do? Insist on personnel. I think what's going to crack it, money, yeah, of course it is, but these guys, you know, they're all making enough cash out of it as it is at that level. So the, the point being is that, you know, you're, you're going to look at what is going to get me to where I need to go. A factory bike, okay, it's a factory bike. Who's looking after that factory bike? I want to change the personnel. I want to pinch this bloody crew chief or I want to do that or I want to... You know, sometimes it backfires. And in Tech 3, I've got history of that. Don't you remember the um, James Toesland versus Colin Edwards um, big shenanigans where James felt that Colin had got all of the all of the talent behind the scenes so Hervé, being Hervé, and I love Hervé Poncherel, he just swapped them around, just gave James gave James Collins' team and Colin ended up with James's team. And as it turned out at that particular point, and this is no you know, disrespect to James at all, you know, Colin was performing still better than, than James at that time. Um, so it, it's kind of, uh, it, it kind of sometimes it backfires on, on trying to get the crew chief. Sometimes it is just basically down to you as a rider. So... There are so many moving parts in a, in a team situation. It's what you're going to be happy with. And uh, that's you know, money to one side, bike, team. Those are the three things. Mm. Could could all this talk also maybe help, help Oliveira in his negotiations with Aprilia? Oh, Might course. he be able to tease a 23 of spec course. Aprilia you know, out of them? Maybe you know we're calling them 22s because that was what announced. But who knows? If he says to them, well, look, guys, KTM are willing to put a contract on the table that says I get the same bike the same factory support that Keith has mentioned. And that seems to be the pivotal thing for Oliveira. It's that factory support. You know, what what can you guys do? I mean, uh, this is good for Oliveira. I mean, for him personally, well, it's... Uh, you're you know, so right. But I, I go back to the RNF and previously the Sepang International Circuit team of Yamaha's independent team, if you like, in that they needed to know, Yamaha needed to know which team he was providing at the time that they were in June of the previous year to be able to get the engineering uh, scaled up to be able to provide the kind of bikes and the kind of backup that they needed for that for the following year. And you've got to reckon that Aprilia, being the small factory, have got the same problem. It's all very well saying, I want 23 bikes, you know, 2023 bikes, um, but it's a case of whether the factory can gear to that. They've already, I mean, they've done a magnificent job really getting where they are at the moment. I, the step they've made this year has been phenomenal for me. And to make that same step again into 2023 and spread it out over more motorbikes going to be a tough call <sighs> tough calls all around it's going to be uh, an interesting time monitoring the situation over the next couple of weeks right that was a bumper show i think we just about covered everything there we've run way over time but thank you for sticking with us we will leave it there uh much to think about let us know your thoughts comments as always uh in the uh section below or you can tweet facebook or instagram us just search crash moto 
GP. Make sure you're tuned in as well across Crash.net for all the latest news and analysis across the week. And we'll be back with you next week to preview all things Misano. Leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts as well. And we shall see you right back here next week. But from myself, Harry Benjamin, Pete McLaren and Keith Ewan, bye-bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.